Uh, so today we'll be in uh, Numbers 14, uh, verses 1 through 9. Um, first, I just, I'm thankful that God's always faithful. Um, he always is faithful and he always will be faithful. And it's something that can't change. And I'm just thankful that he will always be like that for my life and everyone's life here. Uh, so today, uh, I'm going to do the uh, verses first, uh, then do the intro. The intro is going to be a little bit longer, so after the verses, I'll go into the prayer, then start the longer intro, so... So Numbers 14.1, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of of Japunit, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. God, just help me today. Lord, I need you all the way. I've been studying, Lord, and studying, and I just know I need you, Lord. And thank you for this opportunity that you've given me. And thank you for the opportunities that you still are to give to me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, I want to go straight to, how did we get to the point we just read? So starting back in Exodus, so I'll just take it all the way back. The children of Israel are, are in bondage to the Egyptians. Exodus 1.13 tells us, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. They were, they, were, they were pretty much slaves that served rigorously. And they had tough work to do. And later, after they cried unto the Lord, next we see the freedom of the children of Israel. And it came to pass at the end of 430 days, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. They went across the Red Sea, and then the Hebrews went through the wilderness, and they made it to Mount Sinai. 
And at Mount Sinai, the Israelites received uh, a lot of their instructions. Uh, for example, one of them they received while at Mount Sinai would have been the Ten Commandments, which is found in Exodus 20. There is also sorrows for the children of Israel and, and their times at Mount Sinai, such as times in Exodus 32, where that is the golden calf, if you don't know that. And you saw the struggles that Israel had with sin and with their life in Egypt, such as making a golden calf and worshiping it and saying, here's what they said in Exodus 32, 8 through 9. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I've commanded them. This is the Lord saying that. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sanctified thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. The children of Israel were described as stiff-necked. Because of all the complaining they are well known for, and, and their worshiping of the golden calf. Instead of giving God the credit, they gave the uh, calf the credit for getting them out of the land of Egypt. Amen. And now I want to skip forward to Numbers 10. Uh, this is starting their first approach to the promised land. And Numbers 10 is mostly the setup getting it prepared. And another struggle, as I already mentioned, was the children of Israel were massive complainers. In Numbers 11, 1 through 2, we see they're complaining. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt upon them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. These people repeatedly found themselves complaining. This is, I, could, I could also pull more instances about it, but this sermon isn't about complaining. But the one question I do want to ask is, how often do you find yourselves complaining about what is going on and the circumstances in your life instead of praising God? Because God doesn't like complainers. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.10, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Numbers 13 is the scouting of the promised land. And the Lord commanded so for them to scout the land first. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. That's Numbers 13, 1 through 2. And the men were sent to search the promised land, and they were commanded by God to do so. And Numbers 13, 25, we see the return. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And Numbers 13, 27 tells us their report or their thoughts of the land. Not the report they gave to Israel, but what they thought of it. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, 
and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. That's Numbers 13, 27 right there. And they believed that these people could overpower. They believed the defenses were too great for God to take over the land. So they go to the children of Israel and give them the report in Numbers 13, 32. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land, though which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. They were afraid of the inhabitants of the land. And they did not believe that God could give them the land. They did not believe that God could defeat the enemies and give them the promised land. And, but guess what? He promised Moses in Numbers 13, 1 through 2, which I give unto the children of Israel. That is a promise that he made, that he was going to give them the land. And, and this was a land that they could have had if they would have been bold enough and believed that God was stronger instead of having to wait for 40 years in the wilderness. Yeah. And so now we get to the point to, at Numbers 14. So now Israel has heard the report they saw about the land. And Israel's reaction they found themselves sorrowful over the news about the land. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. There's going to be times in our life, and there's going to be things going on that cause us to be sorrowful. But don't let it to start. Don't let that emotional distress start to rule our emotions. Because that's when it gets dangerous. And Israel started reacting with their emotion instead of trying their best to trust God. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in the wilderness? They let their sorrow take over so much to the point they lost their trust in God. And they started to murmur against Moses, against Aaron, and against God. And you know what next? They go even on in verse 3 to say, And wherefore the hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? The children of Israel decided to put their trust and their emotions and they wanted to return unto Egypt because they thought that God was going to let them die in the wilderness. He thought these people were going to overtake them. They did not think that God was going to be able to win the battle. And the Bible tells us not to trust our emotions because our emotions trick us and they deceive us. That's right. And, but he tells us, but to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Our own understanding is our emotions at times. He said, don't lean on to it. Trust the Lord. That's what it says in Proverbs 3, 
three, five through six. And guess what? Now there's a bad report coming into the land about the spiritual state of America. And according to the Pew Research Center, this information was released August, October 17, 2019. So this research was conducted in 2018 through 2019. And so 2000, uh, when they did the previous research in 2008 through 2009, 70% of Americans in 2008 through 2009 described themselves as Christian. And it went down 12% in 2019. So now 65% of the U.S. would describe themselves as Christian. And then atheist, agnostic, nothing in particular, 17% in 2009 now is up to 26%. And nothing in particular, especially that one, has grown way bigger than what they expected it. I think it's almost as big as atheist and agnostic category now. So there's been a decline in our nation in the last 10 years in belief in God. Yeah. And guess what? That doesn't even mean if they're saved. That saved percentage is even lower than that 66%. And another question that was asked in 2018, in 2019, and in 2009, is how many people attended just a service once a month? And that result... In 2009, 54% said they attended a service at least once a month. But now in 2019, it's down to 45%. And there was people, so 45% in 2009 attended services just a few times a year. And now it's up to 54% in 2019 that attended. So they had flipped in 10 years. And... And it's sorrowful news. It's a tough time going on in the church. But we don't want, we got two choices how we can make regarding this. We can make the choice number one, to walk away and return back into our sinful life and return back into Egypt. Or choice number two is to keep going even if it looks bleak. You could be like Joshua and Caleb who didn't even know when the children of Israel wanted to return, they stood strong. Amen. And we shouldn't let the sorrowful news discourage us, but we should be encouraged by it. We should keep going, even if it does look bleak. And one of the commentaries I was reading while studying for this got to me. The tempest of emotion settled down into sullen determination to give up the prize which hung within reach of a bold hand ripe and ready to drop. That was the land of that was the promised land for the children of Israel. When I was reading over that commentary, it was just within a reach of a bold hand that was ripe and ready to drop. If if the children of Israel would have been bold enough to go out into the land, they would have had the promised land. And guess what? There's no reason to give up, even if the numbers do look like they're going down. Because guess what? Souls are still getting saved. If a soul is still getting saved, it's worth it. And now, numbers, how the, first I want to go into choice number one, is to walk away and return to living our old life. And numbers 14.4, and they said one to another, let us make a captain 
and let us return into Egypt. They wanted to go back and return unto their old life. They started to think the life before following God was better. But guess what? That was little the case. Think about it. They served with rigor. And it got so bad to them that their life in Egypt was a life of pain and a life of sorrow. Think about it. In Exodus 2.23, here's what it says. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried. And their cry came up unto God by a reason of the bondage. It was, think about it. The bondage got so bad, they were sighing about it. And they started crying unto the Lord. Because that's how bad their bondage really was. And think about it. Living a life before Christ was really that bad. And guess what? They were so grieved in their life in Egypt that that's what caused them to cry unto the Lord. And they fell into the temptation of wanting their old life back. And they were almost willing to do it. And we as Christians face that same temptation. We face the devil will try to tell us and trick us and make us think that our lives were better before Christ came into them. And he will try to tell us to return back and start living a sinful life. Because you want to know what? When you start living a sinful life, we lose our effectiveness as a witness and an ambassador of Christ as what we are called to be. And don't fall into that temptation of going back into a sinful life. Because I was thinking about this. One of the, uh, one of the ways that the, they shared us for better, quicker soul witnessing is called the 15-second uh, testimony. And this one really, really makes you, if you start thinking about it, because here's the five steps. The intro, there was a time in my life. The next step is describing how your life was before Christ. Thirdly, you described how this change came when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Thirdly, you described how it was when Christ came into your life. Oh, no. Fourth, you explain how life was after Christ was coming into your life. Or after he came into your life, how it felt. And then finally, you would ask the question, to get the soul witnessing starting, do you have a story like that? And most of the men in the room, because there was a, a, the person that was sharing this, asked people uh, for how they felt before and after. And the men mostly talked about how sad their life was, how unfulfilling it was, and how they felt like they had no purpose. But guess what? After Christ came into their life, they had joy they never seen. They had joy unspeakable and full of glory. They had a purpose. Christ gave them a purpose, and they had something. They had a real hope. They had a real faith. Nothing false. And... A, cry, a life with Christ is better than one without. Amen. A life with Christ means that we have an eternal hope. If we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior and believe that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day and we confess and admit that we're a sinner, we are saved. And we have an eternal hope. 
even though the devil, he will try so hard to get us to go back and go back and living in the world. But was it really that good? Was it really that good? No. A life with Christ is so much better. It may not be easier at times. There may be hard times. There may be difficulties that make you think this. But guess what? A life with Christ is so much better. It may not be easier, but it's better. But don't get easier and better mixed up. Because when you start to get easier and better mixed up, that's another trap you could be falling into. But a life with Christ is better. And don't turn back to living the old life and living a sinful life. And now I want to jump to Joshua and Caleb and how they responded correctly to the sorrowful news or the or something that looked not perfect. But guess what? Because they believed that God could take down those enemies. They believed that God could take care of the problems. And guess what? God's still working in the church. Lives are still being changed. And as long as lives are being changed, souls are getting saved, God's still at work. No matter how much they will try to discourage us with sorrowful news, it's not, it's not really true. Because guess what? If a soul is getting saved, that's enough. Amen. And here's what they say in Numbers 14, 9. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Guess what? Don't turn back to your old life. Don't go and going against and rebelling with God. Do not do that. He's also telling the children of Israel not to rebel. And neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Guess what? Caleb and Joshua knew that with God, no problem is too small. Amen. Guess what? He just needs people full of the Spirit and full of the faith to get His will done. Amen. Romans 8.31 What shall we say then? What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, yeah. who can be against us? Yeah. yeah. Amen. And Acts 6.5 and the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. We need to be like Stephens, men and women that are full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. Guess what? You want to know something? The biggest quencher of the Holy Spirit is our flesh. We are the biggest quenchers of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And because guess what? We like to do our will more than we like to do God's. Because our flesh will tell us to do something that we should not be doing. Because it's going to quench our spirit and and slow us down from being full. Because guess what? We're going to miss opportunities to be a witness. Because if we let our flesh take over. We are going to miss opportunities and not see things if we let our flesh take over instead of being full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And this society has tried to tell us, take care of yourself first. They do so much self-care, so much self-help books that they want you to take care of yourself before you take care of your relationship with God. 
They don't want you to be full of the Holy Spirit. They want you to be quenched. They want you to be under a trap. Because we need to put God in our lives first. Instead of putting ourselves first, he needs to be first. And the last, the, the last part that they tell them is, and the Lord is with us. Yeah. Fear them not. Yeah. Good. Guess what? Fear not the problem if it seems like the church is reclining, declining. Fear not those that persecute you for your beliefs. Fear not them that attack you. For what you believe, if you have a public profession of faith in Christ Jesus. And this verse right here at the very end looks almost identical to a verse in Hebrews 13. And two verses in uh, Hebrews 13. In Numbers 14.9, it tells us, And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. And guess what? Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetedness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Guess what? Joshua and Caleb believed that the Lord was their helper. They believed that they were going to get the promised land. They believed that they were going to obtain it. And guess what? They, them too, after the 40 years in the wilderness, got to obtain the promised land. Because they believed that they, because Israel was promised that land by God. And guess what? They believed that God was going to give them that land. So he let them see it. While the rest of the children of Israel and all that congregation that decided not to believe and wanted to return to Egypt, he told them 40 years in the wilderness. One day for the 40 days, you search the land. And that ended up being 40 years. They stayed and they missed out on a blessing because of what they chose to do. A sinful life, a life not doing what you're commanded to do, and a life in disobedience with God is only going to take away blessings that you get to see. You're only going to miss things. And in conclusion, when bad problems come to us, when trials, when difficulties, when bad news comes, do not go straight to reacting with your emotions. Trust me, when you react with your emotions, it's only going to make a problem worse, not better, instead of putting your trust in the Lord. There was an uncertainty in the land. But guess what? We got to have faith, just like Joshua and Caleb did, that God will take care of the problems going on. Because God is always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And guess what? It says, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I will not fear those problems going on. I will not fear the persecution that I may face. I will not fear that is what that's telling us in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. The devil, though, wants us to walk away with our walk with Christ, and he will do anything he can to get us to.
to walk away. But stay strong and keep growing in your relationship in Christ. Don't let the devil's tricks fool you. It's, it's not worth it. It's not worth trying. Guess what? But keep letting the Holy Spirit grow. Keep growing so God can grow in your life. And guess what? We should strive in our lives, in our walk with God, to be men that are full, men and women that are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. That is something we should strive to be. I am not even close to that point yet, but it's something I strive. Amen. And I believe everyone here should have that same desire. Amen. We, may, we may not be, but guess what? We need to be strong in prayer. We need to be strong and found in our word. Yeah. Because guess what? With God's word, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes for the spirit. It will convict. It will strengthen you when you're weak. It will do everything you need to grow in a life with God. Only if you are willing to apply it and willing to put it in your life. And the biggest quenchers of the Holy Spirit, I believe, are complaining instead of praising. Worshiping yeah. idols instead of God. Yeah. And putting things ahead of him. That distract us from it. Amen. And... And guess what? God gives us so many promises to keep going. There are so many of them. Guess what? There are seeding great and precious promises. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Guess what? He will direct our paths in life. But guess what? We have to do something to receive that. We have to acknowledge him in all our ways to have direction from God. And that's the direction I want to have. And Pastor, uh, that's all the notes I have, so when you're ready. You know, we think about Caleb and Joshua, they were different. They were definitely different. When you read something like this and you see, we don't know a whole lot about Caleb, but we have a whole book of watching Joshua lead after and one of the things I love about the book of Joshua is he prays. Yes. You know, he tells them to be strong and of a good courage and things like that. But you see him praying over and over yes. and over yes. again. You want to be strong. You want to let, you know, you don't want to give in to fear. You got to pray and you got to cling to God's word and be close to him. I like that. That was good. We're going to ask everyone to stand.